Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, we're covering Europe. This is a region that has, for the past couple of years, been out of favour with fund investors, but over the past year, it's been performing well. And in terms of valuations, the European equity market remains cheap versus its history. A key driver for European equities has been the performance of European listed luxury goods companies. These firms have benefited from the reopening of China, which boosted sales. And at the same time, these companies have benefited from the resilience of spending power among wealthy consumers against the cost of living crisis. To chat through this trend and other factors behind why Europe is in a sweet spot of performance at the moment is Zered Osmani, fund manager of the Martin Curry Global Portfolio, which has half of its assets in Europe. When I spoke to Zered last week, I asked him to start off by explaining why he's a fan of the luxury goods sector and to name a couple of stocks that the Investment Trust has exposure to. For us, luxury goods companies are in a really good position generally to capture one of the important themes that we have exposure to, which is the emerging market middle class in general. But at the same time, we're very cognizant that the luxury goods consumption is very much driven by the Chinese consumer. Typically globally, pre-COVID, the Chinese consumer was responsible for about half of the luxury goods consumption globally. So the momentum in the sector is to some extent driven by the Chinese economic momentum. What we had last year was strong headwinds as China was in quasi-permanent lockdown and various regions were locking down, that travel and tourism was not happening. Uh, and we know that the Chinese consumers tend to consume when they're traveling, uh, consume luxury when they're traveling. So what has changed since then and what has led to the significant share price appreciation of some of the luxury goods companies has been the sudden and unexpected reopening of China, the move away from the zero tolerance on COVID. We haven't seen in big ways till the Chinese travelers coming back into Europe in particular, but also the US yet. We believe that that will still be coming both in the second half and into next year. So we're positive on the luxury goods uh, sector in general because of that Chinese recovery, but also longer term because of that emerging market middle class that the sector gives us exposure to. In terms of specific names we have to answer your question, Montclair is an important name in that space. Uh, this is a company that we like and that we've had in the portfolios for a long period of time. It has a very strong creative uh, momentum uh, coming from the CEO and creative director. It has still an opportunity for more um, space growth because it still is underexposed to various geographies. And it has um, an approach that is very uh, protective of the brand. So trying to not have too much inventory in any given season to ensure a lower amount of discounts and therefore uh, that leads to a higher returns on invested capital than many other luxury brands generally. Uh, so those are the reasons we like that company. 
it has an attractive gross profile and an attractive returns profile that we believe will continue to improve over time. The other company we have in the space is Caring. Caring is more of a conglomerate of brands, Gucci being the largest brand, but they also have Balenciaga, Saint Laurent, Bottega Veneta, and a few other brands. Uh, so what we like about that company is that you have that collection of brands and not all brands will do well at any given time, but it gives you as an investor uh, an element of diversification of brand momentum. Uh, the company has had headwinds last year. Notably, China is an area where they're very exposed and China being in lockdown has been a, an important uh, headwind. Gucci is particularly exposed to the Chinese consumer. And within that to a demographic within China that has been more impacted by the lockdowns. And all of which is to some extent reversing. The other aspect has been the fact that uh, their creative momentum has been weak. Uh, what the company has done, however, has been to change creative director. We're awaiting uh, the collection of the new uh, creative director uh, coming out in September. So that will be an important catalyst to see whether that brand momentum in Gucci, which is important to the caring share price, will be supported post uh, that unveiling of the new collection. And then the final one to mention, actually, Kyle, not so much in luxury goods, but that behaves like a luxury goods, is a company in the auto sector, uh, Ferrari. Ferrari is a name that, again, we had for a long time. This is a company that uh, has strong pricing power compared to its uh, closest competitors, whether it's Ast Aston Martin, Lamborghini, or Porsche. Typically prices its models at a 30 to 50% premium. It has been uh, showing that it can unveil limited edition products at a significant price premium. And these products tend to be sold out before they even start production. So in a sense, whilst the car industry is cyclical, this is a company through its limited editions uh, and through this uh, very long uh, order book that they have with long waiting lists from the customers that is actually way less cyclical than what the market might think. And this company has actually performed very strongly, notably because they've unveiled uh, an SUV last year. And as we know, in the autos category, SUVs is an important uh, product segment, which Ferrari hasn't been present in. And that is now uh, becoming increasingly more present. And that SUV has had very strong uh, momentum in terms of uh, order book and far exceeded expectations. So this is a company in our view that is very much a luxury goods companies rather than a car company. So you've mentioned a couple of stocks, but one that you've not mentioned is LVMH, which recently became Europe's largest publicly traded company. I'm assuming then that this is a company that you don't own in the investment trust? That's right. We don't hold uh, that one. We had a preference for Montclair and Caring. Some of it brings us to the importance of valuation and valuation discipline. And when we look at LVMH compared to Caring or Montclair, we see more valuation upside potential in the latter two. Uh, it has to be said that LVMH has had very strong momentum, uh, both with their Louis Vuitton brand and uh, Dior as well, two of their dominant brands in the luxury part of their portfolio. So certainly 
uh, incredible momentum that the company has been able to put through, strong newness in some of their products, both on Dior and Louis Vuitton front, which Gucci hasn't been able to achieve, but where, as we're looking forward, back to the point we mentioned earlier, with a new creative director coming into Gucci, we believe that that has the potential to change. And when we then look at the valuation differential between those companies, we believe that the risk reward at caring is now very supportive. So as well as the luxury goods companies, are there any other sectors or industries in Europe that have been performing well this year that you have exposure to? Luxury has been one, although more recently that sector has been slightly more volatile as uh, some of the economic momentum in China has been weaker than expected. Uh, So we're going to touch on that and then we'll go on to the other sectors. On the Chinese economic momentum, our view is that the Chinese recovery will continue to be well-oriented, but that will be driven more so by services rather than manufacturing. And the other aspect to highlight is that it's very difficult to predict the momentum in an economy of the size of China coming out of lockdown. And so looking at trends on a month-on-month basis might be somewhat misleading. We believe that on the bigger picture, H2 will remain well-oriented in terms of economic momentum, driven by services, and actually services is a significantly bigger part of the Chinese economy, accounting for about 50% of GDP versus manufacturing, accounting for closer to a quarter of GDP. And so that's an important aspect. Uh, Yes, there will be some volatility in that sector, but generally speaking, we believe that that sector could stay well supported over the next 18 months as China continues to reopen as the Chinese traveler starts traveling more into Europe and the US. Other sectors that we believe uh, are also exposed to that are in the industrial space. Some European companies uh, like Atlas Copco exposed to the global industrial cycle, but notably to the Chinese industrial cycle. And these companies have been well supported, have had very strong numbers actually at Q1 uh, with a beat that has led to upgrades despite the market fear that we're heading into a recession. And we'll touch on that in a moment. But the other sector that has been particularly supported this year has been technology. Technology both in Europe and globally. Uh, This has been driven by, again, a reduction of fear of recession, uh, but also by the excitement created by artificial intelligence. And we might be talking about that later on, Kyle, but for us, artificial intelligence is an important thematic focus. Uh, We have eight midterm thematic opportunities of which robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence is one. And what has created the excitement so far this year has been uh, ChatGPT and the very rapid take up of the service and uh, really thinking about what could be the potential across sectors Uh, of uh, benefits uh, to uh, harnessing artificial intelligence. On the point on uh, recession, perhaps I can mention one aspect. At the end of last year, we wrote an outlook on 2023. The common view was that we were going to enter into a recession. This was a consensus view. Our prediction for 23 was that we could avoid a recession. Our central scenario was sharp slowdown rather than recession. We put a probability of 60 to 65% of sharp slowdown with a probability of recession only at 30 to 35%. 
And the euro has been volatile so far. We had the US regional bank failures, the potential risk of spillover into systemic risk uh, across the globe. That hasn't happened. Um, we've had credit lending conditions tightening in the US in particular. We've had the US debt ceiling debate that was at risk of leading to a US government debt default. That hasn't happened either. Uh, as we're getting through the media point, we've updated our outlook and actually we haven't changed our view. We still see the core scenario of sharp slowdown, both at the global and the US level as uh, the central scenario with 60 to 65% probability. And we still see a probability of recession at only 30 to 35%. And what has happened here today, Kyle, is there has been a debate about whether the economy, uh, the US economy is going into recession or not. Uh, and that has created that bull bear debate, that volatility, but ultimately that has to some extent contributed to the sharp rally in stock markets as there has been more evidence that the economy has been stronger than expected and the hard data has been coming in very healthy compared to what expectations were of a potential risk of recession. So let's delve deeper into artificial intelligence, which has been the key theme driving markets really, particularly the US market in 2023. Um, you know, a number of the big mega cap companies in the US have been benefiting due to their exposure to the AI theme, which is causing a lot of excitement for its future potential. But the technology sector, it's not just about the household names. Could you talk us through the European companies that are positioned to benefit from emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence? Yes, there is. And uh, the first aspect to mention is uh, we're very excited about the potential of artificial intelligence. And we believe we've only seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of the potential. And that uh, excitement is about what artificial intelligence can do in terms of productivity enhancements, in terms of increasing creativity in various sectors. And it goes through all of them, whether it's consumer, industrials, healthcare, or even technology itself. Um, when we then look at opportunities, we would go back to one important aspect. It's important to have valuation discipline because at times what we have seen with some themes such as artificial intelligence is the market tends to get ahead of fundamentals. For us as investors, it's about capturing the long-term fundamental potential of a theme like artificial intelligence fitting it into forecasts on companies that have exposure to those, and then concluding with a discipline and consistent valuation framework as to whether there's more upside potential uh, compared to where the share prices are. So when we then look at opportunities within that, NVIDIA at the global level is very well exposed to the artificial intelligence. Uh, it has a strong technological leadership uh, through that R&D scale, benefits that it has built over years. Uh, it has uh, probably somewhere around five to seven years of technological leadership on peers, and therefore has the potential to be in a similar position to where ASML was 10 years ago in the semiconductor space. So we can then talk about uh, how strongly the stock has done and how the valuation now compares to six months ago. But our view is that 
there is still more potential positive momentum in artificial intelligence. We've only seen the start of what is an important structural growth trend, and we believe that there could be ongoing acceleration in the trend over the 18 months to come at least. And in terms of your question on uh, Europe specifically, there are ways to gain exposure. These are through the enablers of artificial intelligence. So our view is very much that uh, semiconductor industry is very well positioned to capture the super cycle uh, that the industry is facing, notably from the point of view of artificial intelligence as an enabler of that artificial intelligence investment. So companies like ASML, which provides uh, tools to produce the microchips, uh, it's in a quasi-monopolistic position in terms of leading edge technology, and it is likely to benefit from that long-term super cycle, even if the industry will remain cyclical in the near term. Uh, another company is B Semiconductors, which is uh, effectively a company that has uh, leading technology in terms of microchips, uh, in terms of chiplets, so impose, superimposing chiplets one on top of the other, uh, which means that it is able to uh, stretch the limitations of Moore's law, which the industry has been facing. And that to us is an exciting potential uh, growth uh, opportunity over the next 10 years. You've mentioned NVIDIA Explain on why you know you think over the long term this is a, potentially a great stock, but in terms of over the short term, you know its share prices went up a lot, particularly over the past nine months, and it's you know the biggest holding in the investment trust. Have you been trimming exposure to take some profits, or have you retained your position? So far, we've kept the position where it was, so it's the largest position in portfolios. Uh, yes, the stock has uh, done extremely well. But when you look at the significance uh, bit of the Q1 results, uh, you have to put it in context. On the Q1 results, the company surprised pretty much everyone in the market by how strong the numbers were. Uh, the results led to somewhere around 40% upgrade to full year revenue estimates by consensus and close to 100% upgrade to earnings estimates by consensus. So a share price that moved on the first day by 25% and then moved uh, in subsequent weeks by another 10 to 15% puts that into context where actually since the result, the company has technically derated compared to the magnitude of the upgrades at the bottom line. Uh, for us, it's again about capturing the longer term picture. So when we forecast companies, including NVIDIA, we look at a 20 year uh, forecast. Uh, we look at the potential market size and how much of the market they can capture. Uh, we look at how the uh, profitability will evolve over time. Uh, and then we fit that into that valuation consistent uh, framework that I mentioned earlier. So based on that, we believe that the company remains attractive in terms of compounding characteristics, given the gross profile that it is facing, as well as the uh, improving returns profile that it will be generating. And finally, I know that you're finding plenty of opportunities in terms of the valuations in Europe. But I wanted to also ask you about the UK. You know, there's a number of market commentators at the moment which are pointing out the, you know, the share prices for that market. They are cheap relative to its own history and to other regions, particularly the US market. 
Is the UK market one that you invest in as part of your global mandate? Not much. And what you have to bear in mind is that we focus on a stock-by-stock -stock basis and we don't find many opportunities at the moment in the UK market. Uh, there's a few aspects to mention about the UK market. There's a big exposure to materials in particular, to natural resources, to energy, but also to financials, notably banks. And these are sectors where we don't have any exposure. And the reason for that are fundamental. When we look at returns on invested capital, which is the way we assess uh, part of that quality gross parameters that we assess, and these are sectors that struggle to cover the cost of capital, even in the energy sector. Yes, there will be periods where the oil price flares up and is very elevated, and that boosts temporarily the returns of uh, companies in that sector. But over the long term, the oil price tends to adjust as supply demand adjusts, and those returns tend to reduce, and we tend to not see any sustainable way for this sector to generate value for shareholders. So we're not exposed to those sectors. Similarly on banks, we've recently uh, written a piece on why we don't hold banks. And it's the same fundamental reason. When we look at the industry dynamics, we find it to be a sector that has high competitive intensity, barriers to entry that are diminishing and eroding rapidly, which means that new entrants are coming in, notably neobanks, which don't have any burden from legacy IT systems and therefore are able to service clients more efficiently, uh, more productively, uh, and therefore are able to gain market share rapidly. Uh, there's also, therefore, a lack of pricing power. And we always focus on companies that have pricing power, which is important in any environment, but even more so in a higher inflation environment. And it's a sector where customer power is therefore very strong. Uh, customers are able to switch easily from bank to bank, and therefore that also provides a headwind. The final headwinds are regulatory headwinds. Uh, the requirements to hold more capital, for example, which means that uh, that is uh, weighing on the return on equity that uh, banks in that sector can achieve. Therefore, when we put it all together, unfavorable industry dynamics, regulatory risks, uh, low return on invested capital or return on equities in this sector, uh, which means uh, the ability to create value for shareholder is greatly diminished, means that we find better opportunities in other sectors. And the ones we focus on there for Kyle tend to be healthcare, consumer, technology, and industrials. This is where we find more companies that generate superior return on invested capital and therefore can create value for shareholders. And that's the reason why we're very underrepresented in the UK equity market. My thanks to Zerud and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please do leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, please do spread the word and tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website, ii.co.uk. See you next week.